The Athletic. Hello, I'm Ian McIntosh and welcome to the Football Manager Show, sponsored by LiveScore. Once again, we're recording in the map room here in Castle Macintosh as the nation adjusts to another burst of <coughs> working from home. Ah, working from home. The perfect time to start a great big career save. Though, do remember not to leave it running in the background when you're in a Zoom meeting, just in case you're asked to share your screen. So, on today's show, we're talking about you. What do all those attributes mean? What do coaching badges do? And how can you go from a no-badge Sunday League general into an international super manager? We're also going to talk tactics with RDF Tactics off the YouTube, because I need help with tactics. Yes, what did you learn is back. And on live scores more than a score, we're going to the nicest nation in the world. Oh, Canada. So, let's get cracking. Andrew Sinclair, welcome to the show. Hello, Ian. Nice to be back on the show after a few months away. Yeah, it's nice to be back. How many is this now? Four, five? I think it's three. I think the last time was the... Uh... <gasps> Producer Steve, it's his third visit on the show. You know what that means. Welcome to the executive bathroom, sir. Andrew Sinclair, you're a friend of the show. How do you feel? Well, just a bit overcome, I think, actually. A bit um, overwhelmed. Yeah, that, that's that's how most people feel. You're sort of reeling with, with gratitude. I, I know, I know. It's uh, it's emotional. Uh, but listen, let, let's get back to it. For anyone who doesn't know, what exactly do you do all day? So I am in the PR and content team for Football Manager. So I'm liaising with media like yourselves about kind of content that we can do around Football Manager. And then internally, my main focus is on a lot of our communication. So a lot of the news stories on our website are written by my fair hand, same as the marketing copy on our store pages. And my baby at the moment is the byline, which is kind of the advice tips section of the Football Manager website. I am no stranger to that page. We talked about it in the intro. This is almost certainly going to be a period where a lot of big games of Football Manager are getting started. And I love the start of a game. I love the the, the hope and the optimism. Everything's unblemished at that stage. And sometimes you, you just want to bound in, you want to manage a big team and, and have your fun. But sometimes you, you want to make it almost like an RPG. You want to make it your, your great narrative arc, taking yourself up. And and that's what this show is about. It's the, the dynamic management stats, um, being being a better you. Because this is, it's basically the difficulty mode of the game, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And it's important to remember that the game doesn't change depending on how good or conversely bad you make your manager the game world is the same, it's just your starting point within it changes. So you can choose to either make yourself an elite manager, you know, whether you've devised a persona for yourself, like a, a Joe Devine, for example. You can make yourself a tremendous manager with the, the best coaching badges, the best experience, 
Or conversely, you can go with no badges and you've only ever played Sunday League football. And then it's a real struggle trying to get your message across, trying to develop from there. But whether you start with an international reputation or you earn it from, from working from the bottom up, once you get to the top, the game won't discriminate between the two. We're going to be focusing more on the bottom level. When you start with, let's say, Sunday League player and, and no coaching badges, you, your numbers are very low. How do you get them higher? Without you know, wishing to be facetious, better performances will push your numbers up and bad performances will push them down. But I mean, beyond that, the way you handle certain situations as a manager will play a part as well. So in addition to your attributes, every manager has characteristics as well. And that's the, the way that the game sees your actions and that the way that they may be perceived by the rest of the world. So if you've got a player coming to you with a problem and you sort of dismiss them out of hand, that's going to influence everybody's perception of you and is going to maybe stop your progression. But if you're seen as warm and welcoming, that's going to improve your characteristics. And also, hopefully, a happier squad should lead to better results and better results will hopefully get you more recognition and uh, better stats across the, the attribute scores. Coaching badges will do that as well, and you can take them while you're managing a club. Can you take them while you're not managing a club? No. So coaching badges are funded by clubs in-game, so you can't do those while you're unemployed. So it's really a question of talking your boards into it and outlining the fact that, yes, you'll be a much better manager when you've done the coaching badges and you're absolutely not using their club as a stepping stone. Yeah, I've had a, a few experiences of, of that one myself. I think in many ways you can understand it. It's a double-edged sword for the lower division teams. If you're doing well with them, they obviously don't want you to leave. But if you've got better badges, you might be likely to leave. But obviously, if you're doing, say, a journeyman save where you want to hop from club to club, you're sitting there thinking, well, actually, I want to go. I want to move on and I want to do these badges so people know that in theory, I have a piece of paper to say that I know what I'm talking about. And when the numbers go up, when you've done your, your coaching badges, how, how do they go up? Does it, does it sort of track what you do? For example, if you in your coaching role are only coaching fitness coaching, your numbers in fitness coaching will gradually go up, won't they? Yes. Yeah, so the game does have an understanding of how hands-on you are, which areas of the game you're focusing on and which areas you're doing, but it's not going to punish you for not doing other things. It's just your attribute improvements will be reflected on the areas you've focused on. So if you delegate everything other than tactics and matches, obviously they're the things that you're going to get a reputation for, but you're not necessarily going to improve your record for working with youngsters or player development or something like that, for example. If you, like me, take it way too seriously and you manage your under-18s and your under-23s, will you see the sort of requisite rise in your working with youngsters rating yes it might not necessarily be noticeable over time but certainly if you're involved in those teams that would be something that would be improved and if you then move on to, to bed those youngsters into the first team building that pathway for them and building that process obviously would be reflected as well a lot of people by now will be going yeah but why would you bother but there are some clubs where the the progression from the youth team is so important that being good at it makes you more likely to get the job there is that right yes so that it can count for or against you your track record is important if you say are at a club with a big budget if you 
build a reputation for you love to spend and you love to bring in big name players and big name wages and you've not really bothered to develop the youth team or you've not prioritised the youth team and then you'll move into a club who who build from within, like an Ajax, for example, are big on their youth development. If you go there and you don't really have that kind of track record, the club would probably think twice about giving you the job because maybe you don't buy into the philosophy and the approach that that club wants to push forward with. But conversely, if you have been at a club where you've had to rely on the youth team because maybe you didn't have the money or you were, say, a derby and you were under a transfer embargo, so you've had to rely on your youth team, obviously then if you were moving to a a bigger club or a different club that prioritised youth, you would be respected for doing that and that would give you an advantage. And and this is another reason, I know this is something Miles has said on on many occasions, people who bound about and do lots and lots of first seasons but never really get beyond sort of season two or season three, they're missing out, aren't they? Because by the time you're seven, eight, nine seasons in, the game has dynamically built itself. It knows who you are and the game responds in a very individualised way. Well, absolutely. I mean, once you've got eight, nine seasons in, you've created a game world that's going to be unique to any other save. And you're going to have a developed personality and and character within that world and trying to find your place within it is quite interesting. And the same goes for recruitment and stuff as well. If you start in a first season and you're managing an established club in an established league that you probably know a lot about, odds are you're probably going to make the same moves every time and you're going to be looking at bringing in the same players and shipping out the same players. Whereas once you get eight, nine seasons in, those players you would have bought before are probably at their peak or close to retirement or have retired and you're going to have to look for the the new gen. So you're going to have to work with your backroom team. You're going to have to scout thoroughly and you might even have to uh, make a couple of overseas pilgrimages to watch those players you really want in person. Now, this this is something I'm fascinated by. Does the game notice when you do that? Because that's the thing that I've done from time to time is actually physically watch a forthcoming opponent or if there's a player I'm really very expensive and it's a big decision, I might actually view a game. Will the game notice you doing that and reward you accordingly? Absolutely. That That's a big thing that's noticed. And It can go in a number of ways. If the player still isn't interested, they won't care that you were there. And that information will get to the press. who will come and say, oh, you went to watch this person. Why? You know, how did they respond? Whatever. If they are interested and they think, wow, he's come all the way over to Portugal or Spain to come and watch me, then they might start to agitate for a move, especially if they're in the middle of a transfer window or coming up to one. No way. Or... If you are seen to be there and and the club know you're there and they've already said no to you, they'll think, well, actually, if he's that keen or if she is that keen, how about we up the price tag a little bit and see how serious they really are? So it might be that you go to watch them and think, right, this is a done deal, player's interested, let's go. And then you maybe suggest terms or speak to the agent or make an inquiry and suddenly you find that asking price is shot up by 10, 15 million quid genuinely never knew that that's outstanding a lot of people will just take a club and they'll try and build it all the way up over a course of years a lot of people will be very different and they'll want to hop from job to job job interviews your record in the game as we've just discussed after a bit of time when the game's got used to who you are this is quite pivotal in job interviews isn't it yes because your record is what gonna is going to define whether you're the right person for the job 
or not. If you've only ever managed, for example, say in League Two, you were in charge of Bradford, and then suddenly the Liverpool job is available, well, you can apply by all means, but they're not going to give it to you. But again, it works the other way. If you were in charge at a big team, say you're in charge at Bayern Munich, and then you think, I really fancy a change of pace, and then you apply for the Würzburger job in the three-leaguer, you're going to think, hang on, why is he trying to drop down two or three divisions? So the game obviously has an, an understanding and the clubs within that, the AI clubs, will have an understanding as well. And then the way you manage and the personality you develop will obviously then define how you're received. So, for example, the, I mean, the game has the memory of an elephant, really. It will remember everything. So if years and years ago you had a rivalry with a club or a rivalry with a certain manager who was affiliated with a certain club, if you then try and apply for the job at that club, they might think, we don't like him. We want nothing to do with him. So then they wouldn't necessarily give you the job. And the, the same works down the line. Even if you're at different teams, if you have a rivalry with a manager, that's going to be remembered. And uh, he'll probably have a jibe or two at you in a press conference before or after the game. Any tips on landing the jobs in the interview? Is it is it wise to overpromise? Will that make it more likely that you'll get the job? I don't want to say that you need to be a yes man, but that's ultimately what you're looking for. If you're applying for a job, you have to know you're not going to be the only one. So you have to sell yourself. So ultimately, you have to, at a bare minimum, agree with what the club are looking for. And in many cases, try and exceed what they're looking for or or say that you can deliver more than they're looking for. But you have to remember, though, if you overpromise spectacularly and then you can't deliver it, because you can't find a tactic that works or your best player gets injured and then suddenly you're lost for a number of weeks, you're probably going to get fired quicker than you would have done otherwise because you sort of told them that you were the second coming of the Messiah and you you evidently weren't. Remember how far you can push things. If you're moving to a club that are tight for money, it's probably not the best strategy to sit there in an interview saying, right, we need to overhaul the staff, we need a new training ground, we need this, that and the other because they're going to say they really don't understand the size of the challenge they're taking on. So be realistic, but at the same time, if you want the job, you should know the right things to say. How do you know what jobs you can apply for? I mean, sometimes you'll actually get linked with a job, which is a very helpful way of of knowing. But if, for example, you've done a couple of good seasons at, oh, I don't know, Aberdeen, how would you know when it's time to make the jump down south to the Premier League? Well, I think... You've got to look at the jobs that are available and work out what's realistic and what matches your history and your reputation. So say you've done well at Aberdeen, are you going to walk straight into a top six Premier League job? Probably not. What would be more realistic in that scenario would probably be a top end championship job, maybe bottom half of the Premier League, depending on how well you've done in Scotland. If you want to push up and you want to apply for a job that's probably beyond your current level, then all of what I was saying about the interview, over-delivering and and really selling yourself, that becomes even more important because you might not have the experience or the credibility that some of your rival candidates do, so you have to give the best delivery and presentation of yourself you can. I think the main advice for jobs is just be realistic. It can be exciting to move, but sometimes you'll think, actually, I've not made a sensible decision here. This squad isn't great, especially if maybe you're joining in the middle of the season and there's nothing you can do about it. And if you're doing, say, a journeyman save where you have no badges and no experience, 
I would probably say take the first job you're offered because otherwise you might be waiting a long time for another one to come along. <laughs> um, the final thing is the managerial reputation. Your little stars up the top. How do you get those up and when, when do they move up? It doesn't seem to be a sort of week by week thing. No. So I think this was actually touched on in a listener question on the show a couple of weeks ago for you guys. It's a slow process and different things will offer different boosts to what you're doing. So you might get a couple of upsets in the National Cup, for example, but that might not make a massive difference if you're not doing very well in the league. Likewise, you could do well in the league, but then do poorly in the Cups, and obviously that would, that would counteract it. And different seasons and different achievements will be weighted differently, and sometimes it won't always add up, but you'll make the progress eventually. You'll notice the most progress, I would say, is the sort of season update day at the end of the season when the fixtures for the next season are generated. That's when you'll see the biggest boost to your reputation. will be like, right, okay, I'm two stars now. What do I need to do to become two and a half or three? And it might be that you have to wait until the end of the next season to see a tangible improvement. But don't worry, everything is being totted up in the background. You just might not see the, the fruits of that until the end of the season. Fantastic. If you are starting a great big new career save, all the very, very best of luck. And it really is the best way when the world outside's going to pot. Just make your own special little alternative world and hide out in there until this all blows over. Andrew Sinclair, thank you so much. Thank you very much, Ian. A pleasure to be back on the show. Hey, you. Worrying about what to buy people for Christmas? Well, worry no longer. Don't get them anything. Get yourself a subscription to The Athletic instead. You deserve it. It's been a tough year. Now, because you listen to the Football Manager Show, you can get yourself a very special deal too. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash fmpod and see what the offer is right now, because this just feels right. Don't waste your time reading inferior stuff. Get the good stuff. Get The Athletic by visiting theathletic.com forward slash fmpod. It's more than a score. It's live score. So, what's all this about then? Well, with Live Score, which I'm certain you've all downloaded for free from the App Store or Google Play, you get the latest action, stats, and analysis from around the football world. Because we know with football, it goes beyond scores. It's the stories from the pitch and the stands. Players and fans all spinning their own strands of the mighty football web that links us all together. And there's no better way to twang that web than by playing Football Manager. So yes, it is essentially a guide to exciting new saves. And where's more exciting than Canada, Joshua Cloak? Thanks for having me. I appreciate all the uh, tourists that you would send our way. Hey, we, we do what we can. We, we, you know, we're in England right now. We're in lockdown in all but name. We're desperate to go anywhere. So a trip to Canada sounds pretty much all right by me. Josh, you're a, you're a, a Canadian uh, football man at The Athletic, yeah? I am. Although I, I might call it soccer and uh, I hope people will still <laughs> listen on afterwards. Do you know what? People get their knickers in a twist about that, but soccer is actually an archaic Victorian English word. So realistically, it's actually more canon than not saying it. So f throw that back at people. I, I'm remiss to, to bring that up too often. That's kind of a, a well actually <laughs> that, uh, that I'm kind of remiss to bring up. But no, I appreciate that you brought that up. 
No worries. Treat it, treat it as a sword in your belt. So it's such an exciting time for Canadian football because the Premier League's so new. And now, of course, there is the option to manage these teams in the in the Canadian Premier League. So tell me a little bit about it. How many teams are there and, um, and what happens? Yeah, there's currently eight teams in the Canadian Premier League. They just finished their third season and it's kind of a long overdue you know, top flight Canadian Football League. Uh, there you go. You know, obviously Canada has three teams playing in MLS, Vancouver, Montreal and Toronto, all of which have had varying degrees of success. But I think, you know, if you look at the rise of the game in Canada, I think what a lot of people don't know is more kids under the age of 16 play soccer than any other sport in Canada, any other team sport, including hockey. Um, there's just been incredible participation numbers in Canada for a generation now. And so Canada's own league has kind of been long overdue. So I would say about six or seven years ago, a group of businessmen got together to, you know, really try and create this league in earnest. Um, and in 2019, it kicked off with seven teams, including the team we're going to talk about, HFX Wanderers in Halifax. The league is, has done pretty well in terms of promoting young Canadian players. There's league rules that mandate the you know the number of minutes that under 21 players must play because i think all these teams not only want to develop young players they want to sell them on too you know and move them on to 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 bigger leagues and we've seen a little bit of that with players being sold to to clubs in belgium so it is an exciting kind of league they have spots in the concacaf champions league and it just speaks to kind of the growth and the evolution of the game in canada because i think right now there's no better time to be a Canadian soccer fan because the men's national team is doing great. And there's just such a groundswell of support and interest in the sport in Canada. So you've got your eight teams, but um, there's a postseason after everyone's played everyone. Is that right? Yeah. So you have kind of your regular season, as we call it, where each of the teams play each other. Last season was a strictly in a bubble, thanks to COVID. The beginning of this season was in a bubble. And then afterwards, um, the top four teams go off into the playoffs, which, you know, anybody who knows North American sports knows the playoffs are, are where the playoffs are where you kind of earn your keep as a team and, and where you kind of determine the champions. Um, and so this year, Pacific FC were, you know, they won their first championship after Forge FC, team from Hamilton won the championship the first two seasons. So I know the playoffs isn't something that, that every sports fan kind of gets into, but I think, you know, the Premier League just had to recognize that being in North America, you know, one game playoffs, which they did this season for the first time, I thought that was great. These one game playoffs, one game semifinal and one game final, it added a lot of drama to the end of the season that I think a lot of fans appreciated. Now, HFX Wanderers didn't make those playoffs. Is that why you've picked them as a team to manage? Because it's a it's an opportunity to sort of build from the ground up. I picked them for a number of reasons. They were the finalists in 2020. To me, it starts with the city itself, Halifax, which is a city far on the east coast of Canada. Of the eight teams in the Premier League, six of those teams have other professional sports franchises in the city. Halifax do not. So as you can imagine, they get top billing in the city. Halifax is just this beautiful city right on the Atlantic Ocean, has strong ties to the Navy. It's one of Canada's older cities. It's just a beautiful city to walk through with kind of cobblestone streets, older buildings. And I suppose we could talk more about the city, but just in terms of the club as well, 
They're managed by Stephen Hart, who's a former manager of the men's national team, really brought them through kind of a renaissance of that team in, in 2012. And he's a manager that loves to play soccer. And I understand how that sounds. He loves to, you know, play kind of an attacking, vibrant, passing driven game, whereas some teams like to, you know, kind of couch things a little bit on the pitch. This is a team that gives a lot of time to young players as well, Halifax and, and Nova Scotia, the province they're in, as a really kind of burgeoning soccer scene. So they give a lot of time to young players. And he also brings kind of an international flair. There's a number of Brazilians on the team, including the, the Golden Boot winner, Joao Morelli, as top scorer this year. Stephen Hart is originally from Trinidad and Tobago, and, and there's a number of players from there as well on the team. So they bring kind of an international flair so just a really vibrant team to watch, a really exciting team to watch, and also a team with one of the more passionate fan bases across the entire CPL. So this is a place where if you go in, you put the foundations down, you could make them the Real Madrid of Canadian football. I would say so because they have a lot of young players that are kind of just eager for more playing time. And they also have some of the top end talent that not a lot of other teams do. Again, I mentioned Joao Morelli is a really intriguing player. Uh, Akeem Garcia was, you know, a finalist for for the MVP last season. So they have a real kind of attack heavy team and a team that, again, loves to give opportunities for young players. And again, when you think about uh, Stephen Hart, who's the manager, he was known, you know, when he was a manager of the men's national team to give a lot of time to young players. So I think if for fans of football manager, there's a number of really intriguing prospects that you can kind of build up and kind of bring to their potential. In the game, of course, they're, they're known as wonder kids. If you can find a wonder kid and cherish them and develop them, you can you can do pretty much anything. Who are the who are the names in Canadian football that we need to be looking out for? I keep a look at Scott Firth, who's kind of a taller midfielder, twenty years old player to kind of you know again build up. Andre Rampersand is a really good midfielder, perhaps a little bit older, but one that has a lot of qualities on the ball. And Peter Chalet as well is kind of a taller. German defender, who's another one that that I think is a real anchor of this team's back line. So a few te- few players there to kind of keep your eye on. Let's talk a bit about that national team. You're saying it's, it's a hell of a time for the Canadian team. How well have they been doing and, and what's brought this on? I mean, I think they've been doing about as well as, as they ever have. I mean, the, the men's national team has only qualified for one World Cup, which is in 1986. You know, they go to the World Cup, they play their three group stage matches, they don't score a goal, and they never return to the World Cup again. And for a long time, you know, the men's national team was just an afterthought in Canada, poor management at the top, and players, you know, playing abroad, but not necessarily showing an interest in representing their national team. Through, you know, a series of changes, the men's national team is arguably the most talented in CONCACAF in North America, you know, with top end talent like Alfonso Davies and Jonathan David, two players who I'm sure your listeners are familiar with. And they kind of like Halifax just play this real attack first brand of football. You know, they use a ton of speed from the wings. They're a team that, again, is really driven by their youth. And they currently sit first in qualifying in North America, North and Central America. And they look like they're about as close to a lock for the World Cup as possible. And look, Canada is a soccer country. You know, I was talking earlier about, you know, the participation numbers, but it's a it's a country that is kind of built on multiculturalism. And you have people from all around the world that have immigrated that have come to Canada. And so they've brought with that 
with them, you know, their, their love of, of soccer from their respective places, you know, so very much a melting pot. And I think we're seeing that kind of real interest in, in the men's national team right now, you know, especially with their recent wins over Mexico. So yeah, a really exciting time for, for Canadian soccer. So the important question is obviously, you know, after the game, where where am I going in Halifax for food? What am I eating? And probably more importantly, what am I drinking? So cliche as it might be, uh, I would take, you know, a, a visitor to Halifax to the Alexander Keith's Brewery. It's definitely one of the more popular beers and mainstream beers in, in Canada. But Alexander Keith's is is one of, also one of the oldest breweries. And I'll be honest, I went to Halifax for the first time when I think I was 18. And uh, as to be expected, I spent a lot of time in that brewery. They've got some great brewery tours, kind of theatrical tours. And there's also a number of other great microbreweries in Halifax. But the Keith's Brewery is one that that really kind of plays up the, the Halifax kind of Navy angle and I really love it there. And then, I mean, after you have, you know, one, two, ten pints, you're obviously going to be hungry. So I would suggest getting a, a local favorite, which is a Donair kebab. Halifax does a really incredible garlic sauce, which is something that I think a lot of places around Canada have tried to replicate, but they just can't. It's this kind of sweet garlic sauce that they end up putting on everything. And it's the perfect kind of sauce to to drown your kebab in i'm kind of just getting hungry just thinking about it to be honest Um, (laughs) me too my mouth's watering again this happens every time on this feature i mean it when i say you know you'll see pizza places donair places across canada try to advertise the fact that they have halifax donair sauce but nothing seems to be as good so no listen an alexander keats a cold alexander keats a donair kebab lathered in garlic sauce is probably where you're going to find a lot of HFX Wanderers fans after the match. There you go. That's HFX Wanderers in Canada. Give it a try. Let us know if you give it a try as well. We, we want to know how you found it. And uh, when all this blows over, visit to Halifax sounds right up my street. Joshua Cloak, where can we find you? Mostly on The Athletic, but are you on Twitter? I am on Twitter, Joshua Cloak, K-L-O-K-E. There's going to be a lot of coverage of the Canadian men's national team in the near future as the World Cup you know, looks like a very real possibility, which is a strange thing to say, but uh, again, exciting stuff over here. Well, we wish you all the best with that and very much looking forward to seeing you there. Joshua Cloak, thank you so much. Oh, thank you. That was It's More Than a Score with Live Score. You can get real-time updates and results, match highlights and breaking news from around the football world on the Live Score app, and it's completely free. So just search for it on the App Store or Google Play now. I'll trade you this baseball for your souvenir bet. Sure. What did you learn? Yes, it's time for What Did You Learn? And uh, we've got a lot to learn. I mean, evidently, we've got a lot to learn, given the poor fortunes of Newcastle United over on The Athletic. But but this has been a really big time. We've got not just a new game, but now we've got a match engine that's been changed. We need advice from the best. Um, we need to talk to someone who, who just gets it and without piling any more pressure on him at all it's mr rdf tactics what's what's your real name aaron aaron it's aaron rdf tactics uh that's his full name who long-term listeners may recall one of our uh, very first people on on community challenge uh, aaron welcome <laughs> to the show thank you for having me 
It's a pleasure to be here. I should be thanking you because uh, your content is is absolutely fantastic. You um, oh, thank you, man. You you worked on a, a brilliant Arrigo Saki piece, I think, about a year ago. And um, tell us a bit about what you've got on and, and where we can find it. So on YouTube, people can just type in RDF Tactics. And then for my football manager content, it's a lot of recreation. So I basically watch real life football or I take research from online from real life football and try and implement that into the game. And you do all of this while you've got two young kids as well. So you, I, I only oh, have yeah. to do all of this <laughs> one young kid. So I have nothing but respect for you. Thank you, man. Yeah, it's been, it has been a bit crazy at times because one's two years old and the other's nine months. So they're very oh, young boy. still. Yeah. <laughs> so night times, at night times, it could be a bit, it could be a bit much. I used to use evenings as streaming, but at the moment with one of them teeth and it's just a bit, too difficult. Ah, <laughs> uh, teething. Teething's always the moment where just when you think you've figured them out, they start teething and everything resets and you start again. But you know what? We, we should save this for our dad's podcast that we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll launch it later on. And the, the funny thing about this game is, it is, you know, inherently always football manager, except that every new version brings with it certain changes and it takes a bit of yeah. time to realize that what worked for you on the previous version might not work quite as well now so exactly that yeah for you what have been the key differences between 21 and 22 uh, for me it has to be the data hub it just has to be the data hub that just allows me to make certain tweaks during games after games before games tell me how you do this because this is something that i i haven't really i'm not really a data person in real life and i haven't really used it too much so how how do you do it in in practice so in football manager there's a lot of stuff you can look at some of it was there before so um i think last year you can check when a team concedes a goal so a lot of the times there might be a team that can see a lot of goals in the first 20 minutes. And then for me, that's just the indication of, right, the first 20 minutes, we're just going to use that attacking mentality and we're going to go for it. So there's certain things like that. Or if a team scores a certain amount of goals in a certain time, for example, Man United might score a lot of goals in the last 20 minutes, then I know the last 20 minutes of my game against Man United, I have to be very, very careful. So what do you do? Do you knock down the mentality or drop deep? Yeah, it'll be not that knocking down the mentality. I actually find dropping deep makes things a little worse, <laughs> if that okay. makes sense. Yeah, so dropping deep for me never works. So I still try, I'm a pressing guy, I like pressing. So I still try and keep that some sort of press, but when I'm on the ball, I reduce the risk and I reduce the mentality risk as well. That is absolutely fascinating. Have, have you found that it's been the same since the match engine came through? Because right now, everyone I've spoken to has got different feelings on the on the new match engine. It's changed a few things, but it's hard to know to what extent. Yeah, so for me, the main thing has got to be the set pieces. I think they've worked on the set pieces a lot. So now I'm scoring a lot less set pieces, I would say. I think the opposition's possession was a bit, wasn't right before. So I think before cautious teams used just to knock the ball about with the defenders. And I think they've changed that. So now you can press a bit better. For me, that's just the main two differences. So how have you managed to get around the uh, the, the gegenpressing pressing thing? Because I've I've struggled with this a bit. I, oh, it, still, it still works. But I will frequently end up like the last 10, 15 minutes. And apart from the three people I've put on, everyone's red hearting. It depends because during games, if I'm playing my actual save, one 90 minutes can take me so long to actually complete because it's a lot of tweaking during games. It could be like every 15 minutes I have to change something. If one person's getting a bit tired, it might mean that I have to change his role 
from a different role or a more defensive one because I know defensive duties on the game, they're not aggressive off possession. So usually I could just change a role to or a duty to defensive and that kind of preserves his energy and ah. it can help him, yeah, it can help him keep going. So if you're playing, say, like a, an attacking wing back and they're red-hotting yeah. on 65 minutes but you've used all your subs, you, what, what would you turn him to to keep him in the game? Yeah, I would reduce his mentality to either support or to defend. I'll be telling him to dribble less, close a little less as well. If I'm, if the team instruction is on close down more, I'll tell that wing back to close down less and possibly stay on his feet. But I'm not sure that really affects his energy levels. But there is certainly things that dribble more because a lot of the times, if you're playing aggressive, he's just going to pick the ball up and try and bring it further forward. And if you lose the ball, then he's got a lot of ground to cover to get back. So if he's dribbling less, then he's not, he doesn't tend to get further forward as much. Sometimes I'm lazy, I'll just leave it. And <laughs> sometimes I'm lazy. <laughs> just, and it does come back hope. to bite me, yeah. Yeah, it does, it can come back to bite me. I've, it's happened a few times during streams as well. And but I'm just sat there thinking, why didn't I make the change? <laughs> <laughs> it, it sounds to me like you are not a man for key highlights. Uh, what, what level of highlights are you watching um, to make all these micro changes? For my videos, it has to be key highlights just to keep the, the video flowing kind of thing. Because I don't think people can watch me playing on extended for too long. But it is usually, it's t it tends to be extended highlights I go for. And 2D as well. <laughs> I love 2D. <laughs> Big fan of 2D. Particularly, like I, I've got two laptops. I've got my old MacBook, which is the one that the Newcastle saves on. And if, if you get that into 2D and turn off the stadiums and stuff, it runs like a dream once you turn all the all the graphic detail down. And yeah, I, I need to I need to know who to blame because there's so many people <laughs> that you could blame with Newcastle. You want to get the right one. Yeah, exactly, exactly. There that. are always people in every iteration of this game who will go on and start a game and it'll all go horribly wrong. And then they'll yeah. start a new game with a different team and it'll all go horribly wrong. And by <laughs> three or four times, they're just like, I don't, does this game not like me? For, for those yeah. people, what, what would you suggest would be just, just a good tactic that's not going to go badly wrong, that would suit most sort of top division sides, almost like a placeholder to say, yeah. I, I'm, I'm not bothered about maximising everything. I just don't want to get sacked inside eight games. When things are going bad for me, a 4-4-2, just a standard 4-4-2, stick wingers on attack, have that deep line playmaker, the box to box. So you have your number 16 and number eight, and you can go for the typical big, small partnership up front as well. That tends to work very well on Football Manager. That works very well at lower level, doesn't it? Yeah, and if you're brave enough, you can go for the four-two-three-one. Yeah, I'm definitely not that brave. <laughs> definitely not that brave. I I have found when you manage right down the bottom, if you've just got yeah. someone who's six foot five, then just use them. Just just toss it exactly up to them, and you can exactly do all sorts that. of stuff. So I have my Walking save, and this is exactly what we're doing for Walking, which is we've got a target forward, just lump it up to him. Hopefully, can win a flick on, and then we've got that advanced forward, just feeding off all of those loose balls getting the goals in. Do you have him target man support or target man attack? We started off with support. He was ineffective. He still won his flick-ons, but that was all he was doing. <laughs> and then when we changed him to attack, he started to have a better attacking output as well. So we have two strikers on attack, the advance forward, target forward, the two wingers on attack as well. And then the rest of the team is basically just supporting that system there, supporting the wingers and supporting the two strikers. That's what everyone else's job is. 
Can I, can I just say how much I love the fact that you're saying we as if you're consciously trying to share the credit with your imaginary <laughs> coaching team. <laughs> you're, you're a generous of spirit, even when these people don't exist. <laughs> I have this in my head. I do it every single time. I said it in my last, my previous videos as well, because it wasn't even my tactic. I was demonstrating it was someone else's tactic. And I said to everyone, apologize if I keep saying we, it's just, I have to do that. So I feel involved. <laughs> so everyone just feels involved. How long does it generally take, you think, for, for your team to kind of figure out what it is you're trying to do and, and get on board? I would say if you're still feeling that it's going wrong by the second international break, then you're probably right. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think things should be starting to make its way around the second international break. So I think in a premiership that would be, so you have the first three games and then it's the international break. And then you have three games. So I think around six, seven games, it should start to work out a bit better for you. If it's Thanks. not, then you could be in for a very long season. Because <laughs> I think morale, yeah, morale is a huge, huge part in Football Manager. And I don't think, I think a lot of people just disregard that. Yeah, morale and momentum, definitely. Yeah, if you can just 100%. somehow stabilise it when it's going wrong, you've you've yeah. got a chance of getting out. It says the man exactly who went that. ten games without a win. <laughs> um, so we can find uh, we can find Woking on YouTube, yeah. So yeah, thankfully we've actually a partnership with Woking as well, FC. No way. Well, the, the real club. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. How did that come about? I can't remember. What, so they just shared a tweet. I'm not even sure why I was following them in the first place, but they showed a tweet and they had Football Manager releasing, but it was their edition. So I just left the comment, oh, I should be you guys' virtual manager. And then within like 20 minutes, they replied back. And then we just got a decent relationship and it just all worked out. So they're really helping me with the save as well. Throughout the year, they're going to be getting some players in. Hopefully they can. I can do like a little interview with them throughout the streams and stuff like that. Well, that is absolutely fantastic. Uh, go on to YouTube, search RDF Tactics and Woking. And you'll find the videos there, but you'll find so much more as well. I'm not kidding. This, this gentleman here has helped me through some very, very dark times. <laughs> um, Aaron, it's been wonderful to have you on the show. Have a very, very happy Christmas and all the best to you and your family. Thank you for having me, man. Thank you for having me. It's time for your letters. You know how to get in touch. iMacintosh at theathletic.com or on Twitter, uh, Ian underscore games. Producer Steve, how are you? Hello, very well, very well. I say that, I'm just off the back of the, the cold that's been going around. So if my voice sounds slightly, uh, now's the time to book in any voiceover gigs, basically, in terms of uh, that sort of slightly different sounding voice, which can be appealing to some people. Do you know, I genuinely saw a shout going out for anyone who's got their own um, recording studio and uh, voiceover chops. Uh, so that, that is an actual thing that is happening right now. <laughs> but enough of that sort of stuff, because we've got loads of letters. We do, and you're gonna, we're going to swap round this week, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. These are all letters that required answers from Sports Interactive. And we've got bags of answers. And yeah, let's, let's just uh, let's try it on for size. Callum Wilford is, is first out. He says, hi, Ian, and the great people at the Football Manager podcast. See, this is why I want to read it. So <laughs> I, get, I get all these good vibes. Uh, Callum says, uh, I've got a scout problem at Busan in South Korea. I changed the scouting priorities to scout players under 24 and based in South Korea. But the scouts keep on offering me old foreign players. 
Well, that doesn't help with my league squad rules. I've changed my whole scouting team. It's still the same. Help! We asked Sports Interactive for help. What did they say, Steve? Any scout worth their salt will let the manager know if they come across a good signing, even if you've asked them to look at other areas. Do you think if someone was scouting youth football for a defender and came across the next Lionel Messi, they would just keep quiet about it? That's how the scouts in FM work. So also bear in mind, sometimes you may find within the scout reports are offers from agents around the world trying to get their clients signed. So it's not always just from your scouting team. If you're fed up of these, in the top right-hand corner of the scouting centre, you've got the option to both filter and use the show functionality to restrict what's presented to you a bit more to your liking. That agent thing, I didn't realise. That's sneaky, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Uh, To be honest, it's one of my favourite things from FM21 that's still in FM22 is that your scouts will pick out things that they just think you should know about. Like, this guy's top goal scorer in League 2, you should have a look at him. Or this guy's got the highest pass percentage in French football. And I really like that kind of stuff. But I am also the same, that I am not at home to, you know, 37-year-old playmakers looking for a retirement place. (laughs) Um, So yeah, get on the filter. Charles Jones, I love this one. For the first time on FM22, I've had a player sent off for an off-the-ball incident with my right back elbowing another player. Upon inspection of the rules, this could be a five-game ban for extreme striking of another player. However, I've also noticed you can get a 12-game ban for striking a match official. If you get the chance to ask, can you find out if this is actually possible or if it's just there as a formality? Steve, we asked, what did they say? So they asked and they reminisced as well to say, I remember in an FM many moons ago in a managerial career, I had the mighty Victor Renner sent off for headbutting a referee. I mean, that'll do it. So the rule is in place, they continue to say, but given FM is all about the beautiful game, incidents of extreme violence to referees are no longer possible. Excellent. And also, and, and, and this is a credit to Sports Interactive here for writing this, remember, a referee is for life, not just for Christmas. Yeah, I don't even want it for Christmas, to be honest. <laughs> Keep the receipt, send it straight back. It, it did used to happen. I remember Patrick Vieira getting a six-month ban on a very, very Six. old version of the game that... Wow. Uh, that took him and Arsenal out of the title race. Um, but yeah, you can understand why that's not there. Simon Spencer, he says, love the pod because he wants to get on the show and he knows they, these are the magic words. <laughs> this is the shibboleth that will get you on. Uh, Long time listener, first time writing in. Quick question for you on touchline shouts. I find great success and catharsis from berating my players wherever possible. For whatever reason, they seem to go from complacent to lovely, smiling green faces after I give them a rollicking from the sidelines. However, as there is a delay from me issuing the shout and it actually happening, my team will occasionally score, only to be immediately berated for their efforts. <laughs> obviously, this, obviously, this doesn't go down too well. So when making mid-game tactical changes, you know how there's an option to reverse them if you score... Is there a similar mechanism for shouts that I'm just missing? So, this is what they say. We all sometimes say things we regret in the heat of the moment, and unfortunately for match shouts, once they're issued, there is no way back. This is in part due to the way they're processed into the match engine and the fact a highlight can't be directly changed by an outside influence once it's begun. We did add a feature a few years back that if you've made a tactical change and a goal is scored, you could get the opportunity to reverse the changes before they take effect. So basically, you know, when in real life a player's on waiting to sub on, the guy scores and they're just sitting back down. That sort of idea. It may be that we consider the same approach for shouts or make an advanced technological breakthrough and find a way to make shouts instantaneous. But for the time being, perhaps remember to count to 10 before launching into a verbal volley only a Mark Hughes type would have the technique for. 
So that Mark Hughes reference one that you can really appreciate there, Ian. Absolutely. That, that, that's excellent stuff. We've got Christopher Brown. Christopher Brown definitely wants to be in the show. He says, absolutely love the podcast. Welcome aboard, Chris. <laughs> I've been a long time player over the years and I've been waiting for something like your show to come along. Hey, we do what we can. Been enormously helped by the discussions of spit house tactics. Spit. Spit. And set pieces in particular, currently six or so seasons deep into a save, having led Gloucester City up through the leagues after the League One playoff final, I left for Sporting Lisbon. Nice. Wow. Uh, in my new squad, uh, Daniel Braga, Bra- Bra- D- one of his players. That's uh, Daniel Braganza. Braganza. Yeah, that's the geezer. He's developed into a top class player and has all the attributes required to make him a good quality regista. However, I've tried playing him in that role in a possession-orientated 4-3-3 DM, and I've been badly exposed at the back. Any advice on what system a regista works well in, or what roles or duties to surround them with? Over to you, Steve. So, in the Italian tradition, you have your regista as the sole orchestrator, directing the play for the rest of the team. Think Pirlo in his pomp. This might work best in a formation built around a deep-line playmaker, like a 4-2-3-1 DM, a 4-1-2-3 or even a narrow diamond. With such a setup, your one special creator gets as much space as possible, allowing them to function as a sort of quarterback, picking out passes from deep while staying far away from the opposition's press. So that's what you should do with Daniel Braganza there. Lovely stuff. I still haven't had the courage to shift away from just a deep-line playmaker. I just feel safe. I feel (laughs) safe. Uh, If you've got any questions, and by thunder, we had a lot this week, get them in now. It's imacintosh at theathletic.com or find me on Twitter, Ian underscore games, Ian with two eyes, and uh, I'll try and find you there. And that was the Football Manager Show in association with LiveScore. Your guests today were Andrew Sinclair from Sports Interactive, Josh Cloak from The Athletic, RDF Tactics, real name Aaron, who you absolutely have to follow on Twitter, at RDF Tactics. Your producer was Steve Hankey, and I am Ian McIntosh, son of Christopher McIntosh. And if by life or by death I can save you, I will. The Athletic.